Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Very happy to be with you again today, and thank you for tuning in with us. Today we have a very interesting uh, topic, the choices we all make. And please uh, stay with us and grab the Bible, because we are going to search quite a few passages in the Bible to learn how that can help to make the right choices. But before that, I would like to just thank you again, my panel, uh, for coming today and uh, contribute to this uh, Bible study. And I'll just say uh, welcome to Brenton. Thank you, Brenton, for coming on. It's always good to be here, Nick, and uh, participate in our study. Thank you, Helen, also. Thank you. It's a delight to be here again. Very good to have you with us. And Lija, thank you for joining us. It's a, it's a privilege to be here, to study God's Word. Len, it's our facilitator for today, and like always, uh, you know, I like to thank our facilitators for uh, taking time, extra time, to prepare the, this Bible study, and uh, Len, uh, welcome to the program also. Thank you for your welcome. And I will just pass the microphone right to you now. Well, listeners, as you might have heard last week, we've embarked on a new series of Bible studies, this time on the theme, Family Seasons. Last week we considered the subject Rhythms of Life where we noticed the events from birth to death common to everyone. We saw too that unexpected events come into our lives such as with Job. We saw that everyone's experiences that everyone rather experiences transitions and interactions. The main aspect of life's rhythms is how we deal with what happens, understanding that God cares for each and every person and being able to relate to him makes a world of difference in how we live. Related to life's rhythms is what we're studying today as Nick previously mentioned, the choices we make. The Bible has a lot of advice on this subject. So before we get deeper into the study, I invite you to Bow your heads and Helen will pray for us. Loving Heavenly Father, we're just so grateful that we've made the choice to study today and that our listeners have made the choice to listen. I pray, Father, that the words that we speak will be interpreted from you and through the Holy Spirit and will touch hearts this morning and minds and that we will be more mindful of each choice that we make choices that can be made for good and choice for evil but may we choose to serve you and to follow you in all things and bring glory to you today i pray in your name amen Amen. Amen. thank you helen so i want to address the first question to you helen now that your voice has warmed up (laughs) yes on an average day how many choices do you think we make Well, I thought about this, and then I decided to go in and see if there'd ever been a study done on this, and there was, and it was at the University of Columbia, and they found that on an average, we make more than 70 decisions a day, and that means in an average lifespan of 70 years, we would have made at least 1,788,500 decisions. Now, that's a lot of decisions to make, and sometimes, you know, we can make really good ones. But like Eve, way back in the Garden of Eden, she made some very bad decisions. Mm. And we sadly are reaping what she sowed way back then. So I think it's a good subject for us to look at today. I'm actually surprised they had so few choices. Mm. I I would have thought we make 
so many choices, perhaps even just driving here to the studio. Mm. Choices whether to remain at the speed limit, to pass that slow motorist, to stop at the stop sign. I know we have to, but we still have to choose to do it. They have said on an average it is more than 70 a day. Oh, what I uh, I picked up, I thought you mentioned about decisions, not choices. Yes, the choices, it's a different the decision in, that you make from the choices. It's a different yes. uh, about choices and decisions. And I think the study which you just uh, mentioned was about how many decisions. So it, it was, but what brings on the decisions, Nick? Uh, the choices. Absolutely. Cho- it is choices. very closely linked. It is, yes. but decision is after yes. you have quite few few choices and then you make a decision yeah but you you make the choice from those choices sorry would you say then a decision is a very significant choice rather than a minor choice correct yes you happy with that yeah okay so with that in mind we might be able to uh except what the University of Columbia... I just thought it was really, really interesting. I don't know how many people want to sit down and count their (laughs) choices throughout the day, but it just shows us it's a big part of our life, isn't it? Even when you choose not to make a choice, you've made a choice. Well, that's Mm. correct. Mm. All right, Brenton. One of the Bible characters, Joshua, the second leader of the Israelite, made a very significant choice. Uh, it's recorded in Joshua twenty four fifteen. Would you like to share that verse with us and tell what he chose to do? Certainly. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, the river being um, the Nile River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Contextually, this text was uh, written by Joshua and stated by Joshua on the basis of what God had already done for Israel up until this point. If you look back in the the verses immediately preceding it, you will find that he talks about how you were living in a land you did not take over. You were living in cities that you did not build. You were benefiting from the vineyards and the olives and all the natural produce of the earth which you didn't plant. God brought you into this land and he's now summarising it by saying you have to make a choice. God has done all these things for you. We have already decided. Our family and myself, we are going to serve the Lord but you need to choose who you will serve. Would you say that Joshua's choice, it's almost a decision according to the definition we had Mm. earlier. A good choice? I would say it's a very good choice. Is it a good choice for yourself? For ourselves, I don't, don't believe there is a better choice that you can make than to choose to serve the Lord because it will always, in the end, be beneficial. All right. Now, at creation, God gave mankind a special thing which revealed his love. Lydia, what privilege was given to mankind back at creation? You'll find the answer in Genesis 2, Verses 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. So at creation, God, the Creator, gave a special privilege to the people He created 
which it was the free will. Is that important, panel? I it's believe very, it was a gift. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. In what way was it important? Well, just imagine if we were all created robots. Exactly. You know, with no free will at all. Yeah. Uh, for a start, a robot can't show emotion and it would just automatically be programmed to obey and maybe even say the words, I love you, but it would mean nothing. It would mean nothing. Yeah, so it means God gave us freedom, you know, freedom to uh, exercise our own choices. As uh, Helen said, we are not robots, we are not constrained, we are not forced to live like uh, behind some rules, you know, so experiencing our free will, free choices, it means we are uh, experience of life of uh, free individuals, different individuals. I believe this is very, very it important. Mm. First of all, it demonstrates God's love. Absolutely. We can choose to serve him like we'll Joshua, or we can choose not to serve him. Yes. That is the position God has taken. Yes. Mm. Which is an amazing position when you think about it. It is. Mm. Then just a quick comment on that. Um, God did say very clearly, actually what he gave them was the command. He said, uh, if you eat of the, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Now, they would not know, have known what die meant. Yes. So therefore, what really God is saying is, trust me. I'm doing this for your best good, however you can choose to do this or not. Now, we go through life in various stages of trusting people. It doesn't matter who and what circumstances we find ourselves in, we have to trust people, we have to put a certain degree of trust. In their case, because God had created them, I think it was fair to say that he was doing this because, as you said, he loved them. He understood that if they went beyond these barriers, they would experience what this term die meant. Mm. And ultimately, they did. I'm tempted to think that uh, God and Adam and Eve, they will have some discussion about the choice uh, Lucifer made. And what about if, uh, if they knew uh, about the, you know, the consequences of his choice? That's why God said to them now, don't eat from that tree. And I, I'm tempted to think that they had some knowledge about, uh, about the bad things which happened because of a wrong decision, wrong choice. And that's where Satan got them, wasn't it? Because he put doubt in their minds. God, yes, it was a command, but God didn't do it because he wanted to be arbitrary about it. He did it because he loved man so much. He said, for your own good, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Possibly they yeah. did know because in uh, Genesis 3 verse 6, the very next chapter, um, the first thing that um, Lucifer, speaking through the snake, says to them is, you will not surely die. It's similar to the words Christ used in the New Testament when he says to people, verily, verily, I say unto you. He's really saying in truth, you will not surely die. When in actual fact we know that he's the father of liars. So therefore trusting God on the basis of his love and his creatorship makes perfect sense, Len. I think there's a very significant issue, which is not really part of this study, but I would like to mention it. Sure. There are a lot of religious groups around who have this idea that those people who have not accepted the merits of Jesus, the unsaved, will go to an ever-burning hell. Now, when God gives the choice, 
right at the beginning it says if you love me you will be blessed if you disobey me you will Suffer receive a curse if a person chooses not to serve God and that is their right because God has given them the right it seems to be right out of proportion to say if a person exercises their right not to serve God that God will eternally torment them in an ever-burning hell. It seems to be so weird. It's, it's, it's foreign wrong. to God's character. It's wrong. Mm. Anyhow, <laughs> that was just yeah. something I thought we should bring in. Good thought, Lee. So, Helen, does God choose who will be saved or not? That's a very interesting question because there are some people that believe that that is so, you know, that God has... There's a word for it. It's pre... Pre-reason. Yes. Pre-reason. P-R-O-R-I-Z-O. Yes. But some Christians believe that God has chosen, even before a person was born, whether or not that person will be saved. And that is, those who in the end are lost eternally are lost because God, in his wisdom, so this theology claims, made that choice for this person to be lost which means then that regardless of their choices, that person will be condemned. But fortunately, I don't believe that we ascribe to that theology. Instead, we believe that God has chosen for all of us to be saved and that even before the world began, we were chosen in him to have eternal life. But let me add also that God has chosen us for salvation, but we make the choice to accept it. I uh, had quite a bit to do with somebody once who got mixed up in this we'll say predestination movement mm-hmm. and this person sent me a book to convince me otherwise than what I believed and in there the term they gave it was particular redemption, in other words I'll put it simply, God says well I'll have you, you, you and you and the, the rest of you can go jump, that's not the way I read the Bible I don't believe that would be a loving God. No, really? there's no choice involved in that. Yes. Even if you don't want yeah. to, you are still saved, if you like. Brenton, yeah. would you read Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4? Certainly. Uh, Len, I think this actually touches on what Helen um, read earlier on. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should know the holy, or that we should be holy, rather, and without blame before him in love. Now, this is interesting. This is talking about predestination in the sense of God's original plan when he created man and woman was that everyone be saved. Can I just touch briefly on the word perizo that uh, we touched on earlier? Perizo, to give a very simple illustration, is a father is an eminent surgeon. He wants his son to grow up to be a surgeon as well. And he says, I have chosen you, my lad. I want you to follow in my footsteps and become a surgeon just like I am. When his son gets to 19 or 20, he goes to university. He starts studying for, to be a physician and he decides he wants to be a lawyer. That's what Prurizo means. In other words, the father's plan was that his son follow in his footsteps. The son has decided that he wishes to be a lawyer. So there are various texts, as you know, Len, in the Bible that say, and this is one of them, that God chose us before the foundation of the world. That means before we were even created. Mm. 
So God's plan, God's loving plan, was that the human race, if they were faithful to him, would repopulate heaven, as we talked about in last week's study. But as you mentioned, Len, it is a privilege. It is a free gift God has given yes, us. It is so even though that is God's plan, it mm. comes back to what I said yes. before, we have the choice to accept or not. Right. Just going on with mm. what you said. Okay, well, this probably preempts the next Sorry. question, but it's, <laughs> it's good because um, as I read the Bible, God doesn't say, I'll have you, you, and you. God says, I will have everybody. So then raises the question, by what means are people saved? Yes, we can read in um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, and it says, We know that the law is good if one uses, uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers and or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, and so on. And also we have a verse in um, Acts, chapter 4 verse 12 and it says that salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to man but by which we must be saved so it's only Jesus Christ the only one so is his sacrifice his life his instruction only for people who have been picked out of a, a lottery system by God or is Jesus sacrifice for everybody what would you say to that legend I would like to say that the Lord Jesus Christ he gave his own life for us to be saved but it's my choice to grab this uh, offer from Jesus to be saved so nobody forces me but I, I can uh, exercise my free choice. John 3.16, I think, he make it, makes it so yeah. clear, you know, in, in that regard. If um, the Please sacrifice of Jesus Christ was only for a, a particular group of people or for, uh, you know, whosoever believe in me will not perish but have a, everlasting life. It's clear that for all humankind... That whosoever, of course, refers to anyone, doesn't it? Yes. To you, to it me, to no number attached. No number attached. Mm. And I believe God, God also said he, he is not willing that any should perish, mm. but that all should have eternal life. So just it to sum this choice. up, because I believe this yes. is very important. God would have everybody, every single person who's ever drawn breath on this earth in his kingdom, but he doesn't have the final say that we have the final say because he has given us free will to say yes to him or no to him. And uh, this is where we differ very much with the people who believe in this particular redemption idea. I just want to bring a little bit um, uh, back that uh, those verses which Ligia read from First um, Timothy chapter 1. Because there's a little bit of talk about the law of God. And who needs that law? And interesting that it says that the law was 
only for those lawbreakers, for those people who are not good, for those people who had lots of things to do in their lives. Now, I heard a lot this thing that we don't need to keep the law because we are saved by the grace of God, which to me implies that those people who believe that, they think that they are perfect. That's why they no, don't need to have the law in their life. But the verse says the other way. says that all those people who are sinful, who do wrong things, they need the law. Now, is the law uh, valid or not? Even though we are saved by grace, because that's the offer, but because of our nature, sinful nature, the law, I think, is very important in our life. I'd like to say this. If there's no law, there can be no sin. If there's no sin, there's no need of a saviour. And if there's no need of a saviour, we're all lost. There's no grace. We're, we're lost. We're one. finished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I believe there's another aspect of this. Helen, would you read Matthew 22, verses 34 through to 39? Yes, I'm happy to do that. Let me explain first before I read that. This is a time when the religious leaders came to question Jesus about the greatest commandment just to put it in a bit of context there it says here in verse 34 but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply they met together to question him again one of them an expert in religious law tried to trap him with this question teacher which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses and Jesus replied you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and a second is equally important love your neighbor as yourself I find this is just extremely interesting because even though he says you must love the Lord your God we still have a choice as to whether we are going to do that and likewise the second love your neighbor as yourself again it's a choice but I believe if you follow the first the second will follow mm. through mm. you know this brings up a very interesting issue God gave commandments because he gave people free will if there were no commandments there would be no free will the commandments are there you can either keep them or break them and this is uh, an important issue I believe that many people overlook the commandments are an indicator that we have free will Mm -hmm. well Brenton what is the underlying motive to obey God and his commands the underlying motive, uh, Len, is uh, love. And, uh, of course, John fourteen fifteen says, If you love me, you will keep my commands. Mm. And what's interesting about this, um, Len, and the comment that you've just made, I find particularly interesting. You can look at the commandments as an arbitrary set of rules, just like road rules or other rules in society. I believe the more you love God the more you want to look into why God gave us those commands. And if you begin to peer, as it were, a little more into why God gave us those commands, what it does, rather than reveal a set of arbitrary laws and rules, it reveals God's love in an even deeper level. You begin to realise that God said, don't commit adultery. I'm only using that as an illustration because of all the consequences that mm-hmm. adultery brings yeah. and you say to yourself after a while he was right you know yeah. he's doing this for my best good 
Have you got a statement you would like to read on this yes, too, Brenton? Yes, I have. It says, the Lord does not force us to love him. Love, in order to be love, has to be freely given. In many ways, one could argue that the Bible is the story of God reaching out to lost human beings and seeking, without coercion, to win their hearts to himself. This reality can best be seen in the life and ministry of Jesus and how people using their free will reacted to him. Some were drawn to him, others wanted him dead. Mm. Now, it's interesting, when you compare God's freedom of choice that he gives us with what the devil does, I don't think our listeners need to be convinced that the, the addictions and problems that we have in life, that once the devil has got you, he keeps his foot on you. He doesn't give you a choice in the matter. You are addicted to whatever it is that uh, you are battling with in your life, whereas God says, there is a better way. I'm waiting for you to make a choice to follow that particular way. I like what you've just said. All right, we'll, we'll move to a little bit of a different aspect. We've been talking about choices in a general way. Now we're going to talk about right choices. It's difficult to make choices, and especially difficult to make the right choices. What important? What is important in order to help us choose correctly? And do you have a Bible text to back it up? Lydia? Yes, in First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 18, it says, Be joyful always and pray continually. So in order to choose correctly, it means, first of all, to be joyful and pray continually, to have a relationship with God. So exercising prayer, it means you have a, a, a relationship with God, and having a relationship with God, God is guiding you on the right way, on the right path. Mm. I just want to also mention that uh, those two aspects of uh, prayer and uh, being joyful, uh, they are very important in uh, making the right choices. Praying because we are dependent on God and we can't do otherwise. If we don't bring it to God, we are going to have all sorts of troubles. But also uh, being joyfully, because too many times we make choices under a wrong state of mind, being even, you know, influence of uh, something and uh, being upset. And you know how many bad choices are done when you are not in the, mm -hmm. in the right uh, uh, state of mind to say so, you know? And I thought, very important those two things, you know, prayfully and joyfully to make the right decision, the right choice. Helen, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 and 25, Jesus, Jesus told a short parable about very significant choices. Would you read that, please? And then I want to ask you a few questions. Yes, happy to read it. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Matthew seven twenty four and 25 says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house of solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. So what is the house? The house is our own life um, or the individual person it's talking about here. What is the rock? 
The rock is Jesus, and he is our sure foundation, and we need to build on that foundation. And what does rain and the wind? I believe that that's the storms of life that come to us, the trials, the troubles that come. And often when you go through trials and troubles, you can then see um, who your foundation is or what your foundation is built on. You know, rather than it just falling apart, we have got a sure foundation in Christ. So if we put all that together, mm-hmm. what is Jesus saying here? Well, I, I believe he is, he is saying that we are wise if we follow his teachings, making him first in our life. Going back to that uh, verse that I read before about the greatest commandment, you know, to love the Lord with all your heart, your soul and your mind. Mm. That is a strong foundation. It means the structure of our life. Like a house, when the, tri- the um, storms come to a house, it won't fall over. The structure it's will remain. Yes, and it will be sound. And I believe the same with our life. No matter what trials, no matter what storms of life or troubles we go through, because we have Christ in our life and he is our sure foundation, we can trust him to see us through it. The first uh, couple who experienced sin in the world, they experienced that just because they didn't follow up what God was uh, telling them to Mm do. Now, we experience sin and uh, how foolish that uh, can be not to learn from that mistake that now we need to really listen to God's advice. And Jesus, you know, came on this world and lived like one of us and demonstrating that, uh, you know, you can still uh, uh, be victorious. But we mustn't just listen. We must follow through with action. Yeah. So there's a listening and, and there's an obeying and following him. Okay, well, this leads us into the next thing that Brenton was going to share from Isaiah chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Brenton? If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A simple summary, Len, of that is is quite... There's some clear indicators here. Obedience promotes well-being, prosperity and a peaceful life. Disobedience will indicate uh, in what Isaiah is telling us here that there's going to come a time when you will be destroyed, both physically and uh, your nation as well, because God has said it. Now, that is not arbitrary. God is still saying you still have a choice. If Mm. you choose to be obedient, you will eat the good of the land. If you choose to be disobedient, this is what will happen. Yes, God has laid the consequences out of obedience or disobedience, and that's fair enough. I mean, don't we do do this with our children when we're training our children? We do. If you follow this course of action, there'll be trouble. If you follow this course of action, then you will receive a reward or whatever it might be. Can I say something which could be a bit controversial, but just think of this one. What about... Because God invites us to allow him to come in our life, that he can make choices for us. How is that? Because we are making choices ourselves under the Mm -hmm. sinful nature. But if we invite Jesus to come in Mm -hmm. our life and ask him, can you make a choice for me on this one? Put it this way, as a parent. You're going to, maybe, you know, I'm I'm saying to a lady, you're going with your daughter to a shop, you know, to buy a nice dress. And the daughter will say, Mom, can you make a choice for me which one to, to buy it from here? Because I really want... Can be... I mean, maybe it's a poor analogy. 
But I believe that's the actual, the real trick that we should welcome Jesus in our life, then our choices will not be under our own um, control. control, but under God's control. Can I just add to what you said about the lady going in the shop and the daughter saying, Mum, you make the choice. The daughter, or especially a teenager these days, would only do that if they knew that they could trust their mother yes. you know, make to make the choice. right choice. Yes. Yeah, otherwise they'd say, no, I make the choice myself. And I believe that's the same in the Christian walk. We know, well, hopefully we know, and if we don't know, we need to study his word, that we can trust God completely. And, and there is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. But God's way is... And, the, and, and we can trust him implicitly. And also to just finish yeah. that, was God making choices for his people all through their uh, life? Of course uh, he was making choices, you know, for Israelites, for example. Because he would say, if you obey me, if you follow me, mm -hmm. I will take you there and there and there. But and they so still on. had the choice to say yes Of or course no. they had the yeah. choice, but if they will allow God, that's the choice, mm -hmm. to allow God to come yes. in your life. That's the first choice. And if you allow that, most of other things mm -hmm. will follow. In order to do that, we really have to have a strong connection with Jesus mm -hmm. and also to surrender our sinful desires to him and uh, let him choose for me so in order to do that as I said we really need to live a life dependent on Christ on Jesus and also we have to make silence in our uh, minds and hearts to be able to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice because there are many voices out there. There's Satan voices, evil spirits voices and so on. So being connected with Jesus 100%, of course we can make the right choices because if we ask Jesus, we always receive the right answer. Something else provides information for us to make right choices. What is it, Lydia? Uh, yes, we have guidance in uh, the book of Psalm 119 with verse uh, 105 and it says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And also in Second Timothy uh, chapter 3 verse 16, it says that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So, one guide to make the right choices is God's Word, and is Jesus' uh, relationship, uh, Jesus' guidance, or God, God's guidance. Mm. Can I just add in there that the Bible is not just a collection of stories or fables or myths or of merely human Correct. ideas about God. It's not a human book, really, when you stop and, and learn about it. It is through the Holy Spirit that God revealed his person and plan to these believers who wrote them down when it says all scripture is inspired by God. It means all scripture. Yeah. You know, not just yeah. the New Testament, mm. but the Old sure. as well. Yeah, the Bible is a book of life. Yes, absolutely. It's a good way to put it. And I was going quickly to just mention a verse in Revelation 3.20 where it says, Behold, I'm at the door. You know, Jesus is at the door and he's asking us for to make a choice. 
to open the door. And after he entered, interesting enough that he said, he didn't say, then I will enter, and if you like to give me a supper, I will enjoy the supper with you. No, he's he already starting to make choices for that person who made the choice to let him in. And another translation of the verse says, listen, I'm at the door. In accordance with what you just said, we need to also listen, not just, uh, uh, you and know. And then do what? To, to do what was the will of God. Yeah, but when he says, listen, I'm at the door, if any man opens that door. So there is a follow through with yeah. it. Mm. Yeah. That's yes. not a choice. I don't see that as a choice. I see that as an invitation. It is an invitation. It's an invitation but to, we have to come to him. What God does is, I believe, he offers sufficient inducements. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the word that I'm comfortable but with. But don't we still have the choice <clears throat> to open the door or leave it shut? Well, we do. Yes. So therefore, it is an invitation mm. because uh, a choice would be you will open the door. Mm. Now, we all know that we many people do not choose mm. to open the door of their heart to the Lord. Which so I think it's very important that... When God says something and he asks us to do something, uh, he gives us sufficient information generally and sufficient inducements to want to follow that direction. And going back to what we said earlier on, the closer you come to the Lord, the more the decisions that you make will be in harmony with what he wants you to do. So what does Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 say, Brent? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. In the King James Version it says, And he will make your paths straight. straight. That's right. Mm. In other words, Truly. Mm. he will iron out the wrinkles in your life. Then, then he's making choices for us, very plainly here. Some more counsel is given in the Bible about making big choices. Proverbs 15, verse 22. What does that say, Ledger? Okay, in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, it advises us that plans go wrong for lack of advice. So many advisors bring success. It means when we need advice in something, we have to see the counsels of others also in order to make a good choice. In every important decision we make, how crucial that we go to the Lord in prayer, that we make sure our choice will not lead us to violate God's law in any way, or even the principles of his word. How crucial that we trust in God, that we surrender our choice to him. That is, we must pray that the choices we make will make will bring glory to him and that we're ready to surrender our own desires. If they go against his plan for our lives, many times two wise counsellors can be a great help as we seek to make choices. And in the end, we can have a great assurance knowing that God loves us and wants what's best for us. And that if we have in faith and humility surrendered our lives to him, we can move ahead in faith on the choices that we have made. And there is a text I'd like to share in Proverbs 12.26. 12.26 says, The godly give good advice to their friends. The wicked lead them astray. And I believe we have to be very careful on who we choose to accept the godly advice from because our friends, and we too, have an influence on each other. Friends have a big influence on people, especially young people. Absolutely. And um, Proverbs 18.24 has something to say about this, Brenton? It says a man who has friends must himself be friendly. 
that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Okay. That almost seems self-evident, Len, and yet, um, as it um, says a little bit further in another spot here, one of the most important choices we'll ever make is our friends. Most of the time we don't act out to make friends. Other friendships develop naturally as we spend time with people. But I think the simple uh, thing that Solomon, who wrote this, is trying to get across is, if you want friends, you have to be friendly. Now, being friendly to others is not just being hospitable. It also means you accept their opinions, even if those opinions differ from yours. It means that you are flexible and you're able to uh, make friends because you have common and shared interests. But um, even the best of friends sometimes fall out and sometimes have disagreements with one another. But I think it's the willingness to accept that we are all sinners and that we all need Jesus that helps us to form good Christian friendships that uh, in both cases will lead us to seek the Lord more. Yes, Proverbs has some more good advice about friends and friendships in chapter 22, verses 24 and 25. Ledger, would you share that with us? Yes, it says that do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, for or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. And there is another text in First Corinthians, uh, chapter 15, verse 33, which it said, do, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Yes. So it means be careful with who you make companionship and friendship because these people will hurt you one day, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, as it says, bad uh, company corrupts the good character. So always the evil wins. So uh, being a partner, uh, I, I remember I have a, an experience that... Uh, one of my friends, she was a very good Christian, and she married an unchristian uh, uh, man. And, um, of course, evil conquered, and he pulled her out of the church, pulled out of, of the um, relationship with God, and she went into the world doing bad things with him together. Yeah, this was the outcome. Well, I heard stories yeah. similar to that. Yes. That um, a girl marries a boy, she's fallen in love with him, he's inclined to drink too much he says I'll give up drinking he does for a little while comes back to it, marriage is destroyed, the family's destroyed very good advice that the Bible gives here also in 2 Corinthians six fourteen and 15 yes. would you share that with us Minton, please? Certainly, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Hmm. So when we're choosing a marriage partner, it's good to have somebody who beats to the same rhythm as yes. you do. Okay, let's move on because I know time is getting away. James chapter 1 verses 24 and 25 speaks more about this. Would you share that with us, please, Ledger? After looking at himself, goes away. So I'm going to read a little bit further to make sense. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently 
into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. Basically, this is saying that people who have regard for the law of God are better people, if I can put it that way. It might be a bit of a crude way of saying it, but by observing and understanding God's law, will there'll be better people, both yourself and somebody who you might have as your partner. Helen, mm-hmm. in First John chapter one verses three and four and six, in First John chapter two verse fifteen, I know it's a fair whack here. The question is: Do believing Christians? have better marriages than the general population. Now, see if we can relate those verses to that. Okay, 1 John 1, verses 3, 4 and 6 to start with from the New Living Translation. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy And verse 6 says, So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. And 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. Well, in answer to what you were saying do believing Christians have better marriages than the general population? Well, yes, I think in general they do, but the divorce rate really is not much better. It's nearly the same as with the general population. Two out of five marriages fail in Australia. And I was commenting before to the panel that sadly my first marriage ended in divorce. And But I believe had we both had that firm relationship with the Lord, we would still be together today. Now, Brenton, yes. you've been married a while. I have, man. 44 uh, years. 44 <laughs> years? <laughs> i got a bit to catch me. I have. Um, <laughs> why has your marriage been successful? I believe there are a couple of factors, and I'll keep them brief because of time. Number one, my wife and I share the same spiritual values. Mm. Uh, we have worship together each morning where we pray together, read the Word of God together. Number two, we have, uh, shall we say, similar moral standards, which uh, makes life a lot easier And number three, interestingly enough, over the years, I I have found that both Lurleen and I, because my wife's name is Lurleen, we both tend to view when we're dealing with problems in life or in any situation, we often tend to come up with the same outcomes. Another aspect I would say to husbands is listen to your wives. Don't give advice. Don't try and solve the problem. Listen. In our marriage... We have made it a a point of prioritising. Priority number one is God. And we do the same as you. We pray, we, we read something from the Word each morning in family worship. So God is first. Each other is second. Our children third. And then others come down after that. Another thing is that we do not try to control each other. My wife 
is her own person. She doesn't live in my shadow, and I don't live in her shadow. Yeah. In doing that, we show our respect to each other. And I believe these are some important factors. There's probably a whole lot more that I can identify right now. I just want to mention here, I mean, yeah, thank you for sharing all uh, those uh, stories, you know, but uh, I want to make uh, something clear. There are many successful marriages in this world and not knowing anything about God. It's, true. It's not a clear um, line in between that if you have a success, uh, successful uh, relationship or a marriage, then you are right with God. Not at all. No, you can't read that into it necessarily. Yes, but what the advice here is how to choose a partner, mm. how to choose, and if God sometime, you know, God invites us in this way, says, take the cross and follow me. Now, a relationship, not always, it's, it's just perfect. It can be very challenging, mm. but if you take that cross, if God invites you to take that cross and walk with him, then uh, you may be on the right track, even having struggles in the, in the marriage. God can make such a difference in your marriage, though, can't he? Even if you do start off without him, yes, he can make such a difference. He can bring you closer to him and closer to each other, if you choose to let him. Well, if God created male and female, and we believe that he did, the one who created us can bring us together. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, the last bit we're going to be uh, discussing today is about choosing a course of life. And our life choices include friends, includes marriage, whether or not to obey God, the kind of lifestyle we live, and what kind of career or job to have. Yes. Everybody has to go through this. Helen, what is the most noble kind of occupation someone can have. The one that Jesus showed us, and that is serving others. Yes, yes. And probably I would like to add to that, to lead them to a knowledge of truth, because in that there is satisfaction, there's joy that Nick was talking about before, there's peace, and a whole lot of other things that I think many people don't experience. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is a very interesting chapter. It's written by Solomon, who's supposed to be the wisest man on earth, apart from Jesus himself. And Solomon tried an experiment to find out joy and peace and happiness. And in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1, 3, 4 and 8, he talks about some of the things he tried to do in order to find happiness. Ecclesiastes, can I jump in here, do you mind? I believe that when Solomon was, was making this search, rather than going through it all, he was trying to find out the meaning of life, and he first pursued pleasure, if we look through it. He undertook great projects. He, he bought slaves and herds and flocks. He amassed wealth acquired singers, um, many concubines, you know, for his harem. He became the greatest person in Jerusalem. But it was all meaningless in his words. He said it was all meaningless. You know, some of the pleasures that Solomon sought were wrong and some were worthy. But even the worthy pursuits were futile when he pursued them as an end in themselves. We must look beyond our activities to the reasons why we do them and the purpose that they fulfill 
you know, and in our lives. And, you know, I thought about that and I thought, is my goal in life to search for meaning or to pursue God who gives meaning to my life? Well, that's a very mm. good, mm. A very good uh, question you've asked yourself. Brenton, just to follow up with what Helen was saying, Solomon has actually written at the end of this um, mm. treatise, I suppose you'd call it, what he had to say about all these pursuits, yeah. wine, song, yeah. great projects, etc. What did he say about it? He said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. That almost suggests, Len, excess. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labour, and this was my reward from all my labour. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labour to which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Mm. In other words, he's come to a conclusion that unfortunately our modern generation, many of us have not come to. The more you have, the more you accumulate, the more of this and that that you have doesn't make you happy. It just makes you desiring for even more. And he says, look, I've done it all, guys. <laughs> I've done it all, and the end result of it all is it's, it's just a grasping out to the wind. It's meaningless. If you look at the ads for <coughs> new cars and things like that, That's right. by having this new car, you'll it experience <laughs> all these wonderful things. Yeah. doesn't actually work that no. way. <laughs> it's an unfortunate thing that uh, probably, I mean, with, uh, with some uh, exceptions uh, here, even we present here, living in a Western society, with all the demands and all the wants and all the things which we pursued, it's very hard to understand the contrast and the, the difference in between some people who don't have anything, yes. but they are happy to know God. And I came across to know some of those people mm. uh, which were so poor, but they have God and had more than anybody they, else in, 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 the, in the world they and that's in the, in the Bible it says that even that uh, poor widow you know very very important and I believe we are driven by the demands of this society we live in can I just add to that too I spent many years in Papua New Guinea and up in the highlands too and you could tell the difference between those who had given their heart to God and those that hadn't yes, by the clean, really cleanliness of the mm. village and, mm -hmm. and what have you but what really impressed me too was the fact that they could put all their possessions into one string bag which was called a billum yeah. And they were happy with that. And I looked around our place, and one stage I was very materialistic until fortunately, and I praise God, an earthquake went right underneath our house. And, of course, you know, we, things were destroyed. And from that point on, I learned a valuable lesson. Yes. You know, the only person we can hold on to God, doesn't matter how many possessions we've got. If you can put it in a string bag, you're rich. Huh. <laughs> we don't need to be rich to get caught up in the same trap that Solomon did because for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith uh, in their greediness and uh, pierced themselves through with many sorrows but one can be poor and love money just as much as someone does who is rich of course yes indeed we need to, to earn a living but regardless of what we do or how much we make, we need not make the pursuit of 
wealth an idol. Many families too have suffered because of a father who obsessed with making money neglected the family in order to try to get rich. And how many children or spouses would have preferred a humbler lifestyle over an uh, impoverished relationship with the father? But in most cases, people would have preferred the former over the latter. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we have to wind up today, and uh, I, there's some other things I would like us to share. But I'd just like to say this the Bible is a guide to living it presents the good and the bad and the consequences of both however it advises people if you honour the Lord and serve him in a way that is outlined in the scriptures your life will be satisfying and meaningful and eternal eventually we need to close with prayer. So, Lydia, would you pray for us and the listeners, please? Yes. Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are love. Thank you that out of your um, divine love, you gave us the precious gift of free choice that um, we can encounter every day and every second of our lives. Father, please help us that in order to make the right choices, to come to you in advice, in prayer and communion with you and be obedient. Help us, Father, to apply the word, your word in our lives because you said that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a lamp unto my path. Help us, Father, to surrender our choices to Jesus in order to glorify our Father in heaven and be ready to surrender our own desires if they go against your a heavenly plan for our lives. Father, help us to carefully weigh our choices and decisions, especially thinking about others around us. Help us, Father, that in order to do uh, your divine will, help us, Father, to bring you honor and glory and praise in every, everything we do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. 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 Thank you very much, everyone, for your input, and thank you for all of you who tune in with us and may God bless you and keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus and making right choices.